Well, welcome back to The Red Letter Disciple. My name is Zach Zender, and in just a bit, I'm going to be joined by my co-host, pastor and friend, Chris Johnson, and we hope that this podcast challenges you wherever you are, whether you're a church leader or someone that just loves Jesus, wherever you are. We want to challenge you to be greater followers of Jesus, because when we all become greater, we believe that we will be a greater, fuller, and truer expression of Jesus, and when we get that right, like the world's going to change, and so in the podcast, I can tell you're going to be challenged, you're going to be inspired, and I think you're going to have a lot of laughs along the way with us. We are so grateful for all of you who are listening. Sarah Freeman, 30, we see you. She said, "We went. I went in not knowing what to expect and was really blown away. And I want to thank you as a listener for your encouragement to us. Thank you. So your support and your reviews will help us to hopefully create many more podcasts in the future. And on that note, I got a special announcement in next week's podcast. So we want this podcast to be a blessing to you. Uh, So if it is, would you kindly subscribe and follow on your favorite platform and give us a five-star review? That that would mean the world to us. And by the way, if it's not helpful for you, like if you have recommendations for us, like we want to know, like how can we be better? How can we serve you? You can can check out redletterpodcast.com for ways to contact us. You can see past episodes, show notes, check in with our sponsor there. Um, and, and that's where you're also going to be able to check in with Adam Griffin, our guest coming onto the show with us today. I actually met Adam in college at Concordia University, Wisconsin, CU-Dub. Let's go, Falcons. <laughs> and I've always admired and looked up to him. He is an incredible disciple of Jesus that has served in youth ministry. He served as a public school teacher. And he served alongside Pastor Matt Chandler, who he also co-authored a book with called Family Discipleship. And so I love love how practical and helpful he gets to help us become greater disciples. You're going to love him. If you're a parent, it's going to be awesome. You're going to learn some great things as well. And and this podcast wouldn't be possible without our friends, season one sponsor from The Giving Church. It takes a lot to put this podcast together, and they were the missing final puzzle piece that made this thing happen. Phil Ling is the founder and leader of The Giving Church, and he's passionate about helping churches fund their vision. He has coached, consulted, and their team has led capital campaigns that have led to churches across the world raising more than a billion dollars. I think that's an incredible legacy, as is, but Phil and his team, they're not done yet. He is passionate about helping your church raise more capital. And so I know there's a lot of pastors and church leaders that are asking, like, why should my church do a capital campaign? And so I wanted to ask you, Phil, like, why do churches need to, or why should they consider doing capital campaigns? Well, to quote my old boss, I spent eight years running around the country with John Maxwell as his executive vice president. And he used to have a phrase that a vision's a bucket with a hole in it. Mm. And so it leaks. And so especially coming out of COVID, your vision leaks. Generosity is what fuels the vision. So what better time than right now to be able to recalibrate, refocus and say, what's our vision? What were we trying to accomplish? And then how do I engage people to support that financially? I think the days of that just happening because we're in America and you think everybody knows how church works and that's what they're going to do, I think those days are gone. Yeah, and I really think, I found this in the, in the challenge world that I'm in a lot, that if you don't ask, if you don't challenge, like I wonder how many kingdom dreams haven't come to fruition just because we haven't asked and challenged. And so I found in my church uh, lots of times that, you know, hopefully you meet the budget at the end of the year and everything's good. But if you're doing new things, new initiatives, fun and exciting new opportunities, capital campaigns and raising dollars for that outside of the general scope is the number one way to go. And if you're thinking that, these are the guys that can help you. They're The Giving Church, and you can visit them, thegivingchurch.com slash red, and they would love to get to know who you are. They have a free PDF there that's going to help grow your church's giving, and and they would love to help you fund your vision. Again, find out more about them at thegivingchurch.com slash red. And we are now on to episode six. So come on, let's do this. Yes, today is going to be fun. I got my very, very good friend. Adam. You didn't say that you guys were that great of friends. Well, we'll find out, I guess. Uh, my we're good extremely friend. good friends. Oh, there he is. <laughs> there the is. voice from above. There he is. Adam Griffin is the lead pastor of Eastside Community Church in East Dallas, East Texas. Side. 
Adam is a great dude. His wife, Chelsea, they got three sons, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore. That's some good names. No by kidding. The way. Thank you, man. They're manly names. Yeah. yeah I like that. I like yeah. that. Nobody's going to mess with an Oscar Griffin. No, you know, you better not, man. Griffin. Yeah. 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 He's 10 years old. If you start messing with him, you, you probably have a problem. Hit that illegal button right there. <laughs> I'm going to be coming after you if you do that. And so Adam is also co-author with Family Discipleship with Matt Chandler and a really good book we're going to get into. But before we get into any of that, Adam, you have lived now in Texas for 19 years. Uh, I got to ask you this. Hmm. Tell yes, me sir. your thoughts on Whataburger. Hmm. Whataburger. It's excellent. I'll tell you what's great about Whataburger that people uh, underappreciate is the Whataburger breakfast. You go to Whataburger, you can get uh, anytime after 11 p.m. and before 11 a.m., you can get delicious breakfast tacos, full on pancakes, cinnamon rolls. I mean, it's a legit breakfast establishment. What's in the taco? Oh, eggs, bacon, cheese. Uh, just what you would want in a breakfast taco. There's choices. There's potatoes. But Whataburger is like it, people always want to compare it to In-N-Out. It's yeah. a totally, totally different world. Mm-hmm. In-N-Out's delicious as well. Mm-hmm. But Whataburger is where it's at, man. They, any time of day, I can find something I like at Whataburger, and it's 24 hours. So here's what the problem, though, is I hear a lot from Texans that it is, yeah, because you said In-N-Out, that's like the West Coast. Right, right. Upper Midwest has got Culver's. Right. Texas yes. has Whataburger. But every person I've talked to that we have a heart-to-heart like we are right now. Mm-hmm. A heart-to-heart about Whataburger. Yeah, yeah. when we talk yeah. about, this is important stuff. Yeah. When we talk yeah. about Whataburger, it's like everybody points to the breakfast, which doesn't have burgers or i've heard the chicken sandwich is like that's the go-to and i oh, don't called, get it it's not called what a chicken no well they do have a what a chicken sandwich there but the, their burgers are really good and they also have a burger for breakfast called breakfast on a bun or a bob and uh it's right. it's good my so that's my just, wife's go-to they slap an egg on a burger and call it a day is that I what think happens? they slap an egg on some meat and some cheese and mm-hmm. and it's on a burger bun wow there you go. You know, I've never been to a Whataburger in my entire okay, life. Okay, so so 19 you, years in. You're fine. You okay. did Because you didn't grow up as a Texan, did you? No. I have now lived in Texas 19 years, but I lived in Wisconsin for about 17 years. Okay, mm. so do you, Culver's, like what's, if you're going burger? There, there are Culver's here in the DFW Metroplex, and they are not the world's most popular restaurant. I think the Association of Butter with the burger kind of throws off the old health crowd. But the cheese curds are fantastic. See, I, I, I'm I a do Culver. love cheese curds. I'm a Culver's guy. I, I like that. Best. I do love custard. I grew up working at a custard shop that sold burgers, and it is, man, that's where it's at. There you go. Well, I think we solved everything we wanted to talk about. All right, today. guys. Good night. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> so check out your local Culver's and your local Whataburger. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hey, maybe. Hey, we need to sponsor Culver's Whataburger. Where are you at? So anyway, Adam, it's a joy. Chris, will you come back? I was kidding. Like, oh, gosh, you don't understand my just, humor sometimes. All right. Sorry about that. Adam Hi, Griffin. Adam. All right. So I'd love to. We should ask Adam about Whataburger. <laughs> you yeah, guys, let's reset. Let's reset. Good idea. <laughs> Take two, take two. Hey, Adam, I would love to hear a little bit of your story um, and yeah. how you got to where you are now as uh, lead pastor at Eastside. Oh, man, it's a very long story. I moved to Wisconsin uh, when I was you know, very young and grew up there. That's where I met Zach Zender and uh, went to school there at Concordia University, Wisconsin. You've heard of it. It's prestigious. Go Falcons. Fighting, fighting Falcons. And uh when I graduated there in 2003, moved to a little town in, in uh, DFW called Flower Mound. Very tough sounding city. Very hard to get by in Flower Mound. <laughs> you don't want to play them in football. <laughs> no. What's, uh, not in yeah, Flower Mound. What's a Flower Mound mascot? Uh, the Jaguars, actually. It's a very oh, fancy, fancy group of people. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I loved Flower Mound. Did six years of student ministry there, then taught public school for three years, and then took a job at, uh, with my friends over at the Village Church. And uh, did a job as an exec pastor there for about six years at one of the campuses. And uh, the Village Church had a ton of campuses at the time, rolled them all off into autonomous churches. And when that was happening, uh, I, I kind of had this crisis of what am I going to do? And I had some options. But uh, what the Lord made really clear is that it was time to, to start a church with the friends that I was living around in the part of the city I was living in Dallas. And so we started a new church about four years ago called Eastside Community Church, and it has been a joyride. It is fantastic. I love what we're getting to do. Uh, and those relationships with the village are really precious to me. Matt and I getting to write this book together was a, a true labor of love with a friend. And man, I, 
I've loved every second of it along the way, but that's a little bit of the journey it was a lot of student ministry, a lot of discipleship, a huge heart for being a dad and for being a husband. And so my passion for those kind of things, running family ministries led to a lot of what I get to do now, which is speak into uh, what it looks like to be a family. But I am not, I'm far from a perfect pastor, far from a perfect father, far from a perfect husband. Oh, we know but that. I yeah. know, you know, but <laughs> 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 probably know too well, but I, uh, man, I, I really love getting to be used by God for something that is really good as an imperfect man, getting to point to a perfect God is a pretty special uh, life experience. Yeah. Adam student pastor here, uh, for the last several years. Uh, mm. so I, I hear you. Um, yeah. What do you think is, it, when it comes to discipleship with young people, what's one of the most challenging aspects uh, that you've seen oh, yeah. to discipling, uh, you know, high school, college age students? Well, the problem with... Uh the, the hardest thing is, and people don't understand this, people think student ministers, their job is like knowing the rules of kickball, dodgeball, and knowing how much pizza to order. And, and that's kind of like the, the end of the job. And then you realize it's actually counseling kids through suicidal thoughts. It's, yeah. uh, it's walking with kids through dating relationships and, and uh, exploring their, their sexual desires and, mm -hmm. and walking through a lot of cultural things. The, the way I sum it up is a lot of the problems you hit are you're dealing with people that have adult level problems with still kid level maturity often, That's or you have uh, a lack of people don't realize like when you're an adolescent, you're often thinking with your emotions instead mm -hmm. of reason and parents try to reason with kids and they're going, but I don't feel that way. And they're going, well, that's not reasonable. And so sometimes it's really hard to um, disciple a kid who is following his feelings, following her desires. And you want to reason with them instead mm -hmm. of saying like, and while our faith is reasonable and I'm all, I'm all for reasoning with the kid. Sure. It's also meeting them where they're at. And once you grow out of that space, it's hard to remember what it's like to be in it. Yes, that is so well said. And I said to my wife the other day, I feel like I spend 20% of my time telling people it's okay to break up with somebody that's not good for them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were telling your wife it's okay to break up with you or yes. was that? Okay. Said, um, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, you settled. Right? And, and I'm sorry, but you're I'm sorry. In a long run. <laughs> yeah. We all make decisions with time. We have to live with our decisions. Yes. Yeah, you, you, you missed your breakup window. Yeah, and now, we're, now we're done. Yes, but now you're, you're hitched to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's good. Well, I'm, are you okay, Chris? You and Jen? I'm going to go do some counseling. <laughs> it's the second time he's walked off in our interview. <laughs> How many more will he walk off? Let's, uh, we're setting a record here today. But two. We're at yeah. two. Yeah, there you go. Over-under is at four right now. But <laughs> Hey, Adam. So, yeah, I've gotten to, obviously, you were, so, yeah, we went to school together. And yes, the truth is, you were a year or two ahead of me. And so, I remember, like, coming up to visit Concordia, Wisconsin on a weekend and we got to stay, me and my two Nebraska buds got to stay with you and a couple of your buds and that your hospitality and just the fun that we had was one of the determining factors of like, that's where we want to go to school. Well, that's and, awesome. well I don't know, Chris, that I would like know my wife, uh, without Adam Griffin, Wait, you, Adam, you I met my wife at school. Oh, you set Zach up with Allison. Is kind of. I mean, not really. I mean, Dan poor Thrasher. I, mean, I have to do my part, but like. <laughs> a poor woman. So Let's just say that Zach's wife came to me one day and said, who should I marry? And I said, you know what? I kind of like Zach Zender. He's a good guy. And so she started. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, I love. Uh, you know what? I, our college days together, Zach, were a sweet, sweet time. And I don't. You guys have told me that story before. I honestly don't remember hosting you guys. I'm sure it was a blast of a weekend. Yeah. It was just another you are Friday. so forgettable is what I just heard. All right, I'm going to go get counseling now. I'll run the rest of the show. Thank you. No way, man. I, I'll tell you what. You guys don't know this, but Zach has been a leader for as long as I've known him. So to see him now get to be a pastor and a podcaster and an author is no surprise to me. This man has always been a man who's been gifted by the Lord for extraordinary things since he's been a teenager. So that makes total sense to me, man. It's great to watch what the Lord's doing with you. I love it, dude. So, hey, I, part of your story. Yeah. So you, you were in youth ministry. You were actually leading the youth ministry at our school. Uh, and yeah. we got involved and then you got into youth ministry after school. And then you went into, I think, public teaching for a yeah. few years and then back into a role in church. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, because I think we have a lot of listeners that that and, and I think sometimes is pastors uh, and church 
we can we can kind of elevate our positions uh, somewhat in this world as disciples. Mm. And so I'm kind of curious in your story, like how did you know, like where God was leading you and like that those were the right things that I'm in ministry uh, in a church and then I'm going to serve in a public school setting and then I'm going to jump yeah. back into a church. Like talk me through those because I know those were big decisions each of the times. Uh, That's a great question. I think two things are really important. One is that uh, the whole way I felt like I was doing something similar every step of the way. When I was in student ministry, when I'm leading a church as a dad, as a husband, as a public school teacher, I was always trying to make disciples. That is the the great commission, right? So I actually led more kids to Christ as a public school teacher than yeah. I did as a youth pastor because I had you know five hours a week where these kids could not leave my classroom, and so I'm. <laughs> I'm being able to like share with them as a Christian man. These are the things I believe. And as a Christian man, this is the thing my families do because you are allowed in America to be a Christian and work in the public sector, including as a teacher. And well, yeah. in a lot of places, they um, frown on proselytizing, telling kids they should be Christians. I am perfectly allowed as a public school teacher to be a Christian. And so being a Christian in the public sector was actually really good for me to develop some of my discipleship as well. Uh, but every step of the way, also, I feel like I've always struggled with a sinful lack of ambition. I have not. Uh, if you're looking at the parable of the talents, I tend towards the guy who's like, I should probably just bury that. I, I have <laughs> such like crippling insecurity about things. But the Lord has been so kind to me to, at different points in my life, invite me into what's next. Yeah. That it took somebody else coming and saying, hey, I'm I've prayed about this. I think you should transition to being a teacher at our high school. And then I've prayed about this. I think you should transition to being a pastor at our church and even church planting. I never wanted to be a lead pastor, never wanted to plant a church. And here they come and they say, hey, we think there's more in you. We think you need to do this. Uh, and I'm like, oh, maybe I do. And it's always been fear-based that I've hesitated mm -hmm. or even writing the book. I've always wanted to write. I love to write, but I've never pursued it. I never like got a book agent and said, hey, I've got a great idea. It was more like because of the relationships I had and the work I was doing, people were seeing that and say, hey, I think this would actually really help people, really help families, really help churches. And so I always kind of just depended on the Lord to take me to the next thing, which is not always the best case scenario. But I'm not one of those guys who's beating my head against the wall saying my dream's not coming true. I'm yeah. just really, really grateful that every step the Lord has led me to what's next. And I've been grateful that... Um, to be, I'll be really grateful to be found faithful to the end. That's what I yeah. want. I want to make it all the way to the end and be able to say the Lord led me not into temptation and delivered me from evil. And here I am faithful to my wife, you know, at 99, looking her in the eyes, dying about five seconds before she does. That's what I want. <laughs> You've got it all planned out. Is <laughs> That's all I want. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. That's Favorite it. It's movie very simple. Look for Adam Griffin. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually hate that movie, but that's all right. <laughs> so uh, we had uh, Dave Ferguson on a couple episodes ago, and he was talking about the importance of the I see and you conversations. And it sounds mm -hmm. like that's been big for you as other people saying that. And I think it's so evident, like from me to you and others to you to like see God has his hands on you mm -hmm. that sometimes I, we don't see in ourselves. So I, right. I love that. I'd like to go back to something you just talked about though. Uh, cause I think that there's a lot of people that don't understand how you can be a Christian in a public setting. Right. Uh, and I want to ask like you're in the Bible belt in Texas. Is it just easier there oh. <laughs> or, or a couple like legitimately, or are there, are there a couple things that like you would say, uh, kind of recommendations as people are navigating the public sector, whether that's education yeah. or the workplace um, and, and other positions. You know, like that. I'm sorry to interrupt, no, um, you're not. but I just realized something. You are not sorry. This, I just realized something. That <laughs> we are, you know, when you're watching this podcast, you're going to see probably some kind of incredible background. And it's totally fake because we're in front of a green screen. <laughs> I'm doing it but, again to you. Say, and I just realized that this fantastic book, what is the one thing that our producer told us not to do? Wear anything green. The title of this is green. Oh, no. Over here is green. <laughs> so we probably just had 20 minutes of a podcast with a floating book. So no offense. <laughs> But I'm going to put this down because that's <laughs> you really blew it. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> that's well, you interrupted. Uh, good. That's great. Uh, let me, uh, Zach, your question actually is kind of a big soapbox for me. And I could talk about this for a while. Uh, I don't know how much easier it is in Texas than it is in other places. I certainly I think there's some more assumption that in Texas, if you're a Christian, it's very normal. Sure. And that is that is true. But. I've had friends in Boston who said they've never walked into a coffee shop and seen somebody reading a Bible, and they've walked into I never walked into a coffee shop in Dallas and not seen somebody reading their Bible, which I, I can believe that. That's, that's true. But I think the soapbox issue for me is that in American culture today, and this is a whole other topic, 
there is an assumption in our culture that uh, to be without God in a conversation is an unbiased position. So if you want to be an unbiased lawyer, you can't bring up God. And if you want to be an unbiased counselor, you can't bring up religion. You want to be an unbiased judge, uh, we don't bring up religion. And so the, the problem with that is that our government is actually built on this idea that you can't establish a, a religion, including an atheistic position, to say that's where we all have to live in order to get along. Yeah. It is okay to be a Christian, and that is the same level of bias as somebody who says, we're not going to talk about God in this conversation. You're allowed to, in America, say, no, I actually believe that my Christian perspective is a lens through which I see everything. So I don't have to set aside the fact that I'm a Christian in order to interact with the public. The, the way this manifests is if you have a friend go to school to be a counselor, they'll tell them, that's fine that you're a Christian. You just can't bring that up in your counseling. It'll be a bias. Yeah, and that'll be a bias for your for your clients. Or if you are a, uh, a lawyer and you make want to make a compelling moral argument, it can't be based on the religious beliefs of any person. The truth is, like, it is not even ground to say... Um, uh, God can't enter this conversation. That's a bias. That's not actually the way I see the world. And so for me to walk into a, a school and say, hey, I'm a public school teacher, but I have to pretend I'm not a Christian because yeah. to be a Christian would be a bias mm -hmm. is forcing me to accept a bias that I don't actually hold myself. Yeah. And so for me, I, I, I try to encourage people. I'm not saying that you need to tell everybody that that they have to be a Christian, but I am telling you it is okay for you to be a Christian and believe what you believe. There's so much debate right now about laws and whether we should um, litigate what we believe. And I, I'm all for those conversations, but you can't throw out my beliefs and say, I have to make an argument that has nothing to do with what I believe is true in order for it to be a compelling argument to a society. No, that's, that's forcing us to be an atheistic culture yeah. and I'm against it. Yeah. I have a question for you real quick. This is practical. Yes, sir. Um, I, about six months ago, I was called into jury duty. Great. Uh, I was so excited. I've never, <laughs> everybody's like, I'm You've never been chosen before. Never. And I was, I got that letter and it was like, I won. You made it. I made it. I showed it to my wife. I was excited. <laughs> Framed it. I was so excited. <laughs> and everybody's like, you're excited to go to journey duty. I'm like, I've never been called. I'm so pumped. So I get there and I'm in the waiting pool at eight, nine o'clock in the morning, Sanford, Florida. I'm looking around. Everybody's trying to get out of jury duty. And I'm like, no way, man, I'm in this, you know, yes. I have no excuses. I want to be on it. I want the longest case. Yeah. And so finally, like they pick people at 10 o'clock, they pick people at 11 o'clock. I go to lunch. I've still not picked. My wife's like, how's it going? I'm like, I don't know. I'm still in this ball game, you know, <laughs> One o'clock, two o'clock, Three o'clock, finally at four o'clock, I get my chance. My number is called. I go into the jury waiting room. I get selected. I'm sitting in the seat of the juror. I was juror number two. Wow. Nice. And the prosecution comes up, and the first question they ask Adam is, what do you do for a living? Yep. And they have an opportunity here, right? <laughs> yes. An opportunity to be honest and say yeah. what I'm doing. I think you actually are legally bounded. <laughs> that's opportunity. I think you actually have Or do to I lie and say like I'm a plumber or something? I don't know. Yeah. You know, they don't know. How do they know? But I say I'm a pastor and the guy goes, thank you very much. You're dismissed. Yep. That's exactly right. Because there's an assumption in our culture that because of your bias, you couldn't uh, render a just verdict. Right. But if you were to say, I'm an atheistic plumber, they'd say, okay, you're an unbiased person. Right. Do you see like the difference is like, no, 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 that's a, that's saying that religion isn't real or, or in our culture right now, even there are some religions that are more acceptable than others in the public sphere because they're not as well known in the American culture. Mm -hmm. So if you said, I'm a Sikh, or if you said, I'm a Muslim, or if you said, I'm Jewish, people would say, oh, okay, you can probably render a good verdict. But if you're a pastor, oh man, you're so bought in mm -hmm. to this kind of worldview that is not wanted right now. And therefore you have a bias that is not accepted. And what we do there is actually suffer the consequences of the judgment that they're saying we would render a against them yes. saying we'd be too judgmental to be in there. Right. So we're going to prejudge the Christian and say he yes. could possibly render a verdict. So your recommendation is lie next time I get it. in. The That's church. what I'm saying. Next time wear a princess Leia costume and tell him you can read mine. Yes. <laughs> well, I was going to say probably also you don't want to show up in your red sequence jacket. That might've also <laughs> been 
uh, a miss for you. But anyway, all right, Adam. Hey, you wrote uh, co-wrote with Matt Chandler the book Family Discipleship, and uh, it's awesome. I'm so grateful for your work. I think well, obviously Chris and I, you are all parents, and we want to raise these kids up yeah. uh, to be warriors for Christ, mm-hmm. uh, especially your kids with their names like yeah. Oscar the Warrior. <laughs> You've got uh, no Gus, Gus, Theodore. I mean, that's, they're amazing. Uh, um, and so, tell me, like, wh- one or two key things that in in the book that we can do as parents to help help raise this next generation. Well, yeah, I'll start with one that's related to what we're talking about. This generation is going to grow up in a world for which Christianity may be increasingly uh, undesirable. And so what does it mean to prepare our kids where every parenting instinct in us would want our kids to be very accepted and loved by their peers and their teachers and their coaches? How do we prepare our kids actually to feel different and weird and rejected? Because when Christ talks about his disciples, he doesn't say, hey, guys, people are going to love this idea. (laughs) Hey, uh, don't worry about this. Like, just find people that love you and affirm you and everybody else, man. They're just jealous. That's not that's not our Lord. He says, hey, they hated me get ready. They're going to hate you. And so how do I raise a kid who's ready to be hated for what he believes and have him? uh, The number one word I say for parents that we need to be training this, this generation for is resilience Mm. to be able to be steadfast in what we believe, regardless of the opposition. And that's not to raise kids to be intentionally irritating, but it is to raise kids ready to believe what they believe, even if it does irritate somebody. Right. So if Chris gets uh, kicked out of uh, jury duty because uh, he's a Christian, we go, great. Great. Praise God, man. Praise God that somebody looked at you and said, you're different than the world. Great. I want to be different. And so when my kids uh, come home and they say, hey, all my friends are doing this or all my friends got that or all my friends have this iPhone or have this app or play this game, I can say, yeah, man, that's so awesome for them. I'm trying to prepare you and cultivate that feeling of difference and weirdness yeah. in you. And I want you to feel the inequity of that because that's going to be your lifelong thing. As a, you're going to be a Christian, not, in a, not uh, anything else first. I want you to follow Christ. And so the number one thing then too for parents is to recognize sometimes we feel this incredible pressure to do this right and to Mm. not mess this up. And it's because it's so very, very important. But most of family discipleship is really, really ordinary. And it's actually really great to demonstrate for your kids what an imperfect person following Christ looks like. Because if all you're presenting to them is a perfect person Mm. following Christ, then you're presenting them something unattainable for them. They are not going to be a perfect person following Christ. So letting them not only see, hey, here's where mom and dad messed up. Here's our flaws, but be able to share with them your own personal repentance and to say, Hey, here's where dad shouldn't have talked to you like that. Or mm-hmm. here's where mom lost her temper or here's where, uh, you wait, know, should, I tr- wait, should you say, here's where mom lost her temper? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Yes, yes, yes. that's a correct answer. Careful, uh, be careful. Uh, but sitting down with your kids and saying, "Hey, the, the example I just set for you is not the example I want you to follow." Uh, except in this, I want you to repent where you make a mistake, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm going to do for you right now. I'm sorry, and I want you to yeah. forgive me. That, and th- those kind of powerful conversations of looking a kid in the eyes and recognizing you're the parent that God chose for this kid, and this is the kid that God chose to put in your life, and not trying to compare yourself to some other family, not wishing you had some other kid or wishing your kid had some other parent, but looking them in the eye and being you for them and having your own genuine walk yeah. with Christ that leads them towards that. Now, I'll tell you one more thing. I think in our culture, and again, this is a very Americanized culture that we're speaking to, it would be very uh, abnormal if we said, hey, my kid is actually not going to go to math class. Uh, He's going to get enough math at home just watching his parents. And we wouldn't say, hey, uh, my kid's not going to go to science class. He gets enough science just by seeing us cook and mixing recipes. He gets gets it. But for some reason, even in Christian households in America, we'd say, well, I'm not going to – we don't need to spend that much time talking about it. He's going to get enough about being a Christian just by being in our house or uh, by attending church every once in a while. When this is so much more important than any other course your kid will ever take, and yet those courses will come with diligence and homework uh-huh. and f- and kind of like a forced study, we would say, oh, but they're so resistant when I try to teach in the Bible. Be like, it, it doesn't matter how resistant they are. It's the call on your life to share the gospel with them, to teach everyone, including the kids in your own house. Uh, what what Christ has called us to obey. What are all his commandments? What is the full counsel of scripture? That's your role as a parent. And you don't have to be a theologian or a scholar in order to accomplish the goal God gave you of following him and then leading your kids to follow him as well. I love it. So part of our my research in the past, which is why like in all of our stuff, we have uh, a kid's element to it is uh, Barna did a study years ago and in our nation, 
Christian parents, like 85% of them believe they are the number one spiritual faith formation in their child. So like six out of seven, which should be seven out of seven, but six out of seven is not bad. Yeah. But then when you like read two paragraphs down, it says, uh, but, but hardly any, very few have an actual plan um, that they are implementing with their family. And so here's my, my take is like a lot of us as parents feel the weight and uh, of that we are the spiritual formers in our children's lives, but then the guilt and shame of, I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Right. And, and so uh, my thing is like, have a, like, cool. It's, it's good to know, but like, let's have a plan and totally. try something. And so what I love about your book is it talks about that and, and you use, you know, time moments, milestones, um, yeah. you know, just things that you can do to court sort of have that plan and, and things to look for. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? And I totally. would one thing, I would say one thing, Adam, I would add to that, that uh, working with families for the last almost 20 yeah. years, the parents are always saying to me, I know that we should do this. I don't know how to do it. That's right. the one thing I get. Yep. Well, I think it, it, here's what will hopefully bring it home, and I'll talk more about time moments and milestones. In our church, if somebody was getting engaged and they said, hey, I want to go meet with the pastor because we're getting engaged, we're about to get married, all of us would say, that's so normal. Or we'd say, let's go get premarital counseling from a counselor or from another couple. It'd be so normal. But in our Christian culture, if somebody says, hey, we're pregnant or we're about to adopt, and they said, hey, I want to go meet with my pastor to talk about discipling this kid, that would be bizarre. No one does that. Right. And if you're holding somebody accountable, your buddy, you're asking like, hey, how's your marriage? And you're asking like, hey, how's, how's lust? How's greed? How's anger? I have never in an accountability conversation said, had somebody say to me, hey, how's it going discipling your kids? How's it going like pouring into your kids spiritually? And yet that's, that's the role you're called to. So it's kind of like we've lost it. And so we wanted to, we looked out at the, the world of resources and we said, man, there's a ton of stuff out there to do it. Like it, there's study Bibles, there's worship albums, there's tons of stuff that are like resources, but who's helping you think through what is our plan? How are we going to use these resources? And so what we did is we, we get a very simple four-part framework that really uh, can fit any family, regardless of the age of your kids, or if you're a grandparent, or if your husband is not a believer, or you're a single parent, whatever it is, we, we try to create a four-part framework to say, let's help you make a plan. Yeah. The first step is modeling. I already touched on that a little bit, just to say that yeah. you should be genuinely following God yourself, and that has a huge impact on your kids. Mm. And then we talk a lot about time, moments, and milestones. And time, these three categories are time is like those appointed times where you're going to be in the Bible together as a family. Maybe that's family devos or family worship, or it's going to church together on a weekend, or it's going to serve together. It's, it's something that's kind of like on the calendar. It's routine. It's consistent. And the best version of it is ordinary that our kids aren't going like, wait, what? We're going to read the Bible. No, it's going to be like so normal for us to open the Bible and read it together. And then the second part is moments is how do we leverage kind of the everyday opportunities we will get throughout life with our kids to point to God's faithfulness, to point to uh, godly character, to point to God's characteristics. And it's, it's a lot in the book about how are you going to get on the same page with your spouse if you're married or with your community if you're a single yeah. parent about how you're going to talk about these things with your kid in the opportunities you have throughout the day. How are you going to know the word of God and be prepared to use it in family discipleship moments, whether it's a discipline or whether it's, you know, just it's something beautiful happens, whatever it is. And then the third one is milestones. It's what is these significant times in a kid's life where they're facing either the worst thing that's happened or the best thing that happened. And you get an opportunity as a parent to point to the faithfulness of God, yeah. whether it's your kid turned 16, your kids uh, graduating high school, your kid got baptized, you're, you're naming your kid, you're dedicating your kid, you're confirming your kid, or whether it's your kid had their first breakup, or God forbid your kid was abused, or God forbid your kid got busted abusing something or someone. It's how will you point to the faithfulness of God in kind of the highest highs and the lowest lows, and how will you commemorate those things? And all three of those are things that we see in the ministry of Christ, is things yeah. we see throughout the Bible. We see God being a God of remembrance, saying, I'm going to have you set up this or, yeah. or give this or establish this either ritual or routine or uh, an actual physical thing to say, so you can remember. Mm. You know, it's in yeah. Christianity, we still do things like we have a routine for baptism. We have a routine for communion so that we don't forget, so that we remember what God has done. And then we gather together at the church. We have times on the calendar where we're getting together and we have an appointed time on the calendar said, we're going to study the Bible together. That's, that's discipleship time. And then we also have just throughout every day. I mean, we saw that in Jesus ministry all the time. He was just around people pointing to what's true around them and leveraging those opportunities to talk about God. 
Oh, it's so good, man. Yeah, I, I love it. And, you know, along those lines, I, I think you, you, you live it out too. And I, I never told you this, um, but it was before you even wrote the book, Family Discipleship, that I heard, I think, a sermon you preached um, back in the day. And you talked about, you know, as a, as a young, as a dad with young boys, uh, I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to take notes on the side writing to yeah. my son. And I want to have a Bible I give to each of my my kids that have yeah. notes from their dad. And so I heard them like, that's a really good idea. And I d- I've done that. And I've been doing that for Nathan for four years. Praise God. Getting ready. You know, I haven't done it perfectly, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I keep trying. And there's still a couple uh, couple books like those those prophets that I got to dive a little deeper <laughs> and try to figure out what do I even say to Nathan about this? <laughs> yeah. I still don't have anything good to say. But, but <laughs> what it did for me is it gave me another opportunity and lens to read the Bible yeah, uh, which I think is so important in my own personal discipleship that I'm reinventing ways to read God's word and see it through the lens of a father to a son. Right. And, and I don't know, honestly, if it'll be, I, I hope it'll be meaningful to him, like, but it's been good for me. That's and, good. And so uh, I, I probably should have said thanks for that years ago. I repent. I'm sorry, mm. but that was <laughs> I heard do that. And so I'm getting ready to finish with Nathan's and and then I'm going to, I'm going to commit to starting for Brady and I love uh, it. My, my second son and, and uh, yeah, man, just super great. So I want to pivot a, a, a touch for you because in the church world that uh, we're all in, uh, when the Village Church, which uh, pastored, of course, by Matt Chandler, decided to split into autonomous churches, like that was big news. Mm-hmm. And and you were on the inside of that and you became obviously the lead pastor of one of those churches. Can you, wh- why was that decision made uh, to, to yeah. do that? Because that, that, that kind of bucked uh, a trend that was happening all across the nation, I think. Well, I'll tell you, there's always been a tension within the village to think about because uh, the pastor, Matt Chandler, if you don't know him, he's got a very big following, both inside and outside his church. And people will call that Christian celebrity, but it's never something that he has sought or asked for. You know, he's not like tried to build a platform and tried to become a celebrity. And so we've always tried to balance, like, how do you balance a guy who's so gifted people want to hear him? Yeah. And and at the same time, not try to create something that is just like a some kind of money making machine or some kind of um, just (laughs) veneer. And the great thing about Matt Chandler is he is who you'd hope he would be. He is a godly man who's even funnier in person than he is on the stage. And he pursues the Lord and pursues his family. And he is who you'd hope he would be. And so we've always tried to think about how do you steward this incredible gift of uh, preaching that he has and not build something on him? Mm. And so for a season, we went, man, there's not enough. Uh, We talked about... um, reach and relief. It's like, man, God's given us a chance to reach different communities and bring relief to the church we were in, which at the time was doing like six services. And there, we eventually put Matt on a screen in the service because it just wasn't like he, it was unfair to him to keep demanding him do more in what was a fairly small room compared to his preaching gathering gift. I thought about how can we use this gift for the good of the city? But as we continue to do that, and I think we did that for about maybe a decade, um, there was a desire to see something different ecclesiologically yeah. to say, is this really pastoring? If the best connection people have is to a man that's on a screen <laughs> who's speaking to them as opposed to a local pastor. And we asking the same kind of questions thought, man, maybe the reason Lord's given Matt such a profound gift is that he might be starting a bunch of new ministries across the city yeah. and not necessarily maintaining them. Hmm. And and for him, that was for a long time was his desire to really dig into Flower Mound where he's at and say, these are my people yeah. and this is my local church. But it's hard to do that when you know that there's six other campuses watching sure. you through a camera to say, here's what we're dealing with right here, right now. And he doesn't know those people. Now, I'll tell you, I was of our maybe 60 elders we had at the time. I was in the vast minority who really loved the campus model, thought we were doing incredible work. Yeah. I was all for it. Like it was never argumentative, but I, I do not shy away from saying the campus model. There was a lot of great ministry done there. Sure. I know people will say like, it sounds kind of gross to have a man on a screen, but it depends on the man. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you what, he was super, super gifted and it still is. And yeah. so getting to follow him and see what the Lord was doing in saving people's life. Even last night, I'm sitting out on my front porch with two men who both have come out of addiction, who would claim uh, Matt's ministry, his preaching ministry is something that helped uh, that 
that the Lord used to help redeem yeah. their lives. Mm. And now we're sitting around talking about the gospel and they would point to those times where coming to a church where Matt's on a screen, the Lord used it to, to redeem their lives, man. It's, it's changed a ton. So, wow. Uh, I do love what we're doing now. I do love being a local pastor, but I would never say like, hey, that was wasted time. And Matt yeah. wouldn't either of uh, the, the multi-campus model. That's awesome. So as a pastor now, lead pastor of one of these churches a few years in now, mm -hmm. like what what have you learned good and bad about this process? And is it something that you would recommend other mega churches that are pastored by this influencer yeah. or someone who has this gift, whether they sought it out or not? Yeah. You know what? That depends. It really depends on the motivation yeah. and the man. It depends on who are we talking about? And what is his true heart? And is this something we're building around a person that when that person goes away, it goes away? I've always said, like, I, when we planted our church, Eastside, my fear was that if it went really well, my head would be puffed up. And if it went really poorly, I would be crushed. Like, those were my biggest fears, oh, that sure. it feels very personal. And I've committed to all along be a church that if Adam Griffin dies or Adam Griffin goes away, the church is fine. I get it that I could be missed because I'm loved as a person and I could be missed because I'm loved as a brother, but it cannot be built around a person unless that person is Jesus Christ. <laughs> and while the village, man, the village is built around Jesus Christ. That's not a shot at them. They would, they would say like to build around Jesus Christ and to steward the gift that Matt had led them to making some different choices that they don't regret, but they would not make again. And I think I sit in a place where I go, I'm, uh, people have asked me many times, would we ever, if we got too big for our building or too big for our, you know, bridges in any sense of the word, would we add campuses? And I've always said, absolutely not. Uh, my philosophy is that we will be a hyper local congregation. That's why we named it Eastside was to affiliate with a part of town that we would, we're not going to do, Hey, here's Eastside North and here's Eastside West and here's Eastside West Side and Eastside Southwest Side. Like those things aren't coming. Eastside West Side has a pretty good ring to it. Though, yeah, it's, it's not bad. I can see the logo already. Yeah. You know, you get the website, you get the logo in your, your head. Your like, have disappeared as far as the West is from the East. Let's go. Eastside West Side Church. No, I think a lot of, you know, over the last 20 years, my philosophy of campuses, my philosophy of church planting, my philosophy of revitalization of dying churches has really matured and changed quite a bit. How and so while I'm, mean, yeah, well, I think for a long time, church planting was very, very sexy. If I can use that word, like, Hey, if you're young right. and you're cool. We need to give you a church that you can plant, start something new. I think that can be good, but what it's led to is churches saying, we need to plant and all we have to do is find the guy. And instead of having a guy with a calling who loves a locality, they come with an idea they think is good and think is cool and just try to find a guy to lead it. Wow. And I'd much rather say if the Lord's going to have us plant a church, then he'll have to raise up the right man for that role. And if that man comes along and he has a love for a locality and he has a love for a church, then let's put him there. But let's not just try to start institutions because we think it's a good idea. When what's happening around us in America is a bunch of institutions are dying out. Yeah. And so I think one of the next big waves is going to be revitalization. In fact, what our church is going through even this weekend is we're merging with a congregation that its history goes back to 145 years to one of the first churches wow. in Dallas. We're merging together and we're going to become wow. one church. Your church it's, it's called Schofield Memorial Church and we're Eastside Community yeah. Church. Cool. And it'll be Eastside going forward, but that church has so much rich history and has started so many incredible things. And they're, the people yeah. there are godly, but they were sitting in this huge facility with a kind of dwindling congregation, not, not nobody, but a, a smaller congregation than they used to have. Mm -hmm. They were looking towards the future and going, well, do we die off? And if what the churches around them goes, go, yeah, you die off. We're going to plant instead. Uh, we're going to plant something new and cool instead of going, how can we revitalize something the Lord has been doing here for a long time, which honestly is harder work and it's less sexy work than church planting. I've now done both. And I'll tell you like, this is by far harder, but I think it's something that churches need to spend more time on and not shy away from just because it is more difficult or just because it is uh, less sexy than to plant a church. Yeah, no, I think it's great, man. And I, I, I that's such my belief too, that like, we need every single type of church to be the fullest and greatest expression collectively of Jesus yeah. we in the world. And so whether it's a church plant or a multi-site campus model, franchise, screen, not screen, like who are the people? What are the gifts? What's the yeah. maturity, the heart, the integrity behind the whole thing? Yep. And, and is it pointing to Jesus? And if so, let's celebrate one another and not 
kind of fit into one model. Um, but let's also always be open-handed that no matter what comes our way, we'll continue to evaluate, is this really the best overall? And so I, I have great respect um, for, yeah, the Village Church, for Matt, for you, for the decisions to steward. I think that's such an underappreciated word, mm -hmm. steward, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. God puts in front of you. And so I think, yeah. it's, I think it's awesome. So, And, you know, uh, you mentioned something. Uh, you said old institutions are dying. And uh, it was funny that you said that because on the way up i was talking to my buddy about how we always used to go to boston market remember when you were down in lake mary we go to boston market we get the uh i think i went once we, I he went all the, he, this guy had like a <laughs> flyer card to boston market. <laughs> yeah, right. we get the meatloaf you get the potatoes you'd see the chickens on the rotisserie spinning and like the line was out the door i haven't been to a boston market in about four years uh <laughs> I drove by it the other day and there's nobody inside Boston market. And then I yeah. listened to a podcast about Boston market and they're like, you know why nobody goes to Boston market? I'm like, no, I was just thinking about this. And they said, because everybody sells a rotisserie chicken now. <laughs> like you can go to Walmart, you can go to Publix, you can go to Hy-Vee and they've got yeah. rotisserie chicken. You don't have to go to the old institution. I don't know yeah. why I said any of that, but that's no, I think that's what's interesting is in our generation, especially the younger generation, what they really love is not necessarily brilliance. It's not even necessarily humor. They love novelty. They love something mm. that seems new. They don't want to. We're more concerned about uh, when we teach the Bible, teaching something people haven't heard before. Yeah. That we are about teaching obedience to what they already know. And so our generation loves novelty. And that's why church planting is so attractive. It's like, here's a new thing we could be a part of. Yeah. But just as easily as you get on board with a new thing, you jump off board for the new thing. People come and go just as simply as they Because there's you know. something newer. Right? Like, there will always yeah. be something newer, but the gospel that we teach, while you can teach it in a new way a million times over, mm -hmm. it's ageless, it's timeless. And so yeah. what we want to present is something timeless, not built around a human being or a cool, uh, I don't know, cool program or a cool logo or a cool mission. Sweet we want to. We want to build something that we're called to, which is a resilient group of people steadfastly standing by their faith, even in the midst of a culture for which being a Christian means you're going to have to swim upstream. Yeah. And that is not always going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I think it's great. And I think like that's that's what it's all about is like we the, the actual best answer for discipleship is Jesus. And so. Yeah you know, there's a lot of good and great new answers and, and there's elements of all of them that are awesome. But like at the end of the day, like, let's go back to who he was, mm -hmm. to what he said, and let's encourage our families to get in the word together and read Jesus and follow Jesus and do what Jesus said. And so I love it, man. So did you, I'm curious, uh, did you pick up like one of Matt's strengths is not only preaching the gospel, but his arm hand signals. <laughs> that was my favorite Babylon B article was I think Matt Chandler landed um, a plane. <laughs> Plane. plane. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you pick up the arm signals? And if so, what can you teach us about that as communicators? Yeah, please, it's a very good question. I I would I would be arrogant to say I picked up anything good in communication from Matt. He's a uniquely gifted man, but he is gangly. His arms are always out there. <laughs> we were doing a we were doing an interview together yesterday. He's sitting in the chair next to me, and I swear to you, like it came so close to poke him in the eye about ten times. He's just out. He's just out. He's doing it. What Matt? What people? don't realize about Matt, probably if you haven't met him, is more powerful as a communication tool than just his his natural voice and his arm movements is his intense eye contact. Yes. He is. I've never met a man less afraid to stare at you Whoa, while you're Chris. talking. The first time, uh, first time I was in a meeting with him, I couldn't tell if he was angry at me or if he loved what I was saying because he's just staring you down. His arms are flailing. He's so loud. <laughs> and then he like was like, and I love that. And I'm like, oh, praise oh, the Lord. Oh, oh, I didn't know. I thought you were so mad. That's uh, hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Adam, we uh, we we end with the same question with each of our guests. And then after this question, uh, Chris has got a, a game for you uh, to see if you are really Texas or not. Uh, do we it. don't know. Like our listeners don't actually know that you live in Texas. Yeah. There's lots of people that put fake websites and yeah. talk about churches. You, you might be even... in Oklahoma. We, yeah, don't we don't know. So we're yeah. going to find out in just a moment. But before we find out, um, seriously, though, this is a podcast to hopefully challenge people to be greater followers of Jesus. And yes, so we're asking good. all of our guests, like, if you could challenge our audience to do one thing practically this week uh, to grow and to be a greater disciple, like what challenge would you would you issue? 
That's a great question. I, I'm you. a very introspective person. And I think uh, what's powerful to me may not be powerful to everybody. Sure. Uh, but I, I think if I can challenge people to uh, do your best to recognize in yourself, and maybe this will take stock by like writing these down, or maybe it'll just be reflection on your day. But where you have based your emotional health on how you compare to other people. Hmm. And in that discover like one of the 10 commandments is thou shalt not covet. And I think we don't talk about this enough is uh, if I can challenge you to follow Christ in recognizing where you're basing, how you feel about yourself and how you compare yourself to other people, either you look at other people's weaknesses in order to feel better about yourself or look at other people's strengths and feel worse about yourself and recognize that's actually something the Lord has warned you against. And yeah. we never saw Jesus comparing himself to others in order to to justify himself or to feel good about himself. Like he was the most, um, he was the only emotionally healthy being that has ever lived. And so if you want to follow Jesus Christ, try to recognize where you have let coveting sink into your heart, either in the commercials you're watching, the ads you're following, the social media accounts you're pursuing, the the achievements of your life and say, hey, am I, am I okay just being who God made me to be? I love that. And yeah. where there's freedom in that for people that I think we're we're reticent to find. Can you okay, so I love that. So the challenge is we're going to check our emotional health especially in relation to comparison covet. Can yep. you for just a moment if you would talk about like how do you do that to just to give our people maybe some handles or to get them thinking of how do I do that? Yeah. I think the first word would be poorly. I do it poorly. <laughs> but uh uh I do that by having a lot of truth tellers in my life. Okay. My wife is a truth teller. She was not afraid to give me critique when I need to hear it. She's not just a cheerleader for Adam Griffin. She will tell me when I'm barking up the wrong tree or when I am or when I'm not rooting out a sin of of comparison and coveting in my life. And then I have really dear friends that have known me since before I was a pastor, two of which I've mentioned before. We're out over at my porch last night. We're hanging out and we're just talking about life and these men would not let me get away with bragging on myself at the expense of others or at being down on myself uh, in order to um, uh, seek pity or just because yeah. it's genuinely how I feel, they would, they would be builder, they would build me up. And so having genuine friendships, which are not always easy to find, are one of the best ways for me to feel like I can actually pursue Christ with, uh, with eyes wide open because my blind spots are being seen by those around me. That's good. All right. So this week, if you are taking steps toward that, towards mm -hmm. that emotional health check, uh, whether it's getting truth tellers or personal time, writing things down, uh, let us know. Hashtag red letter disciple. You don't need to let us know anything specific, but we just want to know you're in, you're doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. I am going to turn the next segment over to Chris Johnson. Adam, I'm always nervous when I turn things over to Chris. You know, Adam, in our conversation today, you said, uh, if I heard you correctly, um, <laughs> if you go to jury duty, it's okay to occasionally white lie to make it further. Did you say that? Or can I we... did not say that. All right. All right. Never mind. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not an active listener. I'm more of a passive listener. <laughs> so that's kind of, and the other thing I, I like, Hey, be yourself, be yourself, be true to yourself. I mean, I never wear sparkles, so you've inspired me. I'm taking that off. In fact, I'm going to go. We Tyler. actually had in our contract, you need to keep that on the well, whole time. You know so what? Contracts are made to be broken. All right. Here we go. There we go. All right. Here we go. Those who are listening, Chris just took his red sequins jacket. He looks oh, way sure. more pastoral, though. I, I can see a clerical yeah, caller coming in there. I yeah. Clerical. I've never <laughs> in my life. I should. All right. Here we go. You say that you're from the state of Texas. I am. Well, let's see. Let's All test right. it. Let's test it. All right. Um, put 32 minutes on the clock. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> here we go. Adam. Yes, sir. I have a question for you. If there's a town in the state of Texas that renamed itself so that it can get free cable. Oh. Um, and I asked, do you, just for, out of curiosity, um, and all the questions moving forward are going to be uh, Texas or not Texas, but this okay. is a bonus question, okay? okay? This is just, I'm starting you off with the hardest one. <laughs> okay. uh, you know... Uh, what that name is, or can you identify the company that gave the town free cable? 
You know, I want to say that it's Spectrum, but I'm not positive. Okay. It seems like it starts with a C in my mind, oh, actually. You're so far off. Oh, um, what is it? Here's the thing. The, it is Texas. It was the Dish Network, and they made the Clark, uh, the town of Clark an offer it couldn't refuse. It renamed the town of Clark to Dish, and all of their 201 residents got free cable for 10 years. Way to go, guys. Yeah. You sold your soul for 10 years of cable. <laughs> years. Yeah, what about yeah. after that? No kidding. Like, it, couldn't you have worked a better deal? Like, yeah. I mean, it, like, we're what is their mascot at Dish? The satellite? I don't know. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I don't know if they have a mascot. <laughs> all right. Here. Um, all right. Is this Texas or not Texas? Okay. This state? has more churches per capita than any other state. Texas. I say that sounds like Texas to me. That sounds like Texas? Yes, sir. You're over two, my man. Oh you, no. Uh, it is uh actually not Texas. It is Kansas. No. Oh, uh, of course. Rock, rock, Mississippi. Jayhawk. Oh wait. What are you reading, dude? Look at these notes, dude. These are <laughs> I said to look at this. <laughs> It's Mississippi. Yeah, it is Mississippi. Where is it, Mississippi? Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, okay. No, I am. All right. You wrote this. He wrote this for. Can I say what? It's for? No, you can't. Man, you are all over the map right now. Literally, <laughs> Mississippi, Kansas. Is it in Texas, Adam? Okay. Is it illegal to milk someone else's cow? I'd say uh, false. That sounds like another state to me. And for super bonus points. Can you yep. name this ridiculous state? It's got to be either Wisconsin or California, I would think. No. Even stranger, it's Nebraska. But oh. You no, cannot. What? It is Texas. <laughs> what are we reading, dude? We got to do this whole stinking Wait, segment what? over. The thing is, like, Chris and I are both wrong on each one of these yes, first two questions. Wrong on... <laughs> Wait, listen. You wrote the worst. This is why he does not write games. I put everything in green to read. This state is the birthplace of Kool-Aid. That is Nebraska. I was going to say Nebraska. Ruined. The whole segment's ruined. Yeah, you ruined it. This uh, is for Chris Johnson right now. <laughs> this is why I never allow him to write games. This was absolutely the worst part of any part. I'm so sorry. Um, what's the best thing? Let's, let's just let's just. So Adam's not Texas, though. He got them all wrong. No, I got them he, all wrong. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Yes, sir. Somebody gives you a gift card for $400 for any restaurant in the state of Texas. Mm, $400? $400. It's wow. a good gift card. You, you and your wife, you, you don't even have to take the kids, okay? Uh, right. The kids are getting watched. It's you and your wife. You have a $400 gift card. You can go to any restaurant in the state of Texas. Where are you going, Adam, and why? Well, I know you're trying to get me to say I'd go to Whataburger 40 times, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I would go to, there's a steakhouse that we love yeah. here called Nick and Sam's. Uh -huh. that it would, that's about two meals at Nick and Sam's. That'd be delicious. Oh, yeah. But there's also this brand new place called DeLuca that we love here. It's, it's like really fancy, all-you-can-eat pizza, and uh, it is fantastic. I think huh. I'd go there a hundred times, man. <laughs> but, so, uh, wait, your steakhouse, what's your go-to meal at the steakhouse? Just... Real oh, quick. you know what? They do a cowboy steak there, but I usually go with the ribeye. Cowboy steak is the one that looks like the Flintstones. Uh -huh. It has the giant, yeah, it's yes. giant rib bone coming you know, off of it. And when I get that, I go there. I just say, you can keep the silverware. And I just, yeah. I, I just yes. gnaw it. I gnaw it. And then I start waving the tomahawk around like yes. it's a victory sword. Yeah, they, that's, how they, that's how they know to welcome you back. And yes, uh, they're like, go. this is a guy who knows what he's doing. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. why you made jury duty. Like with no problems. You're I'm like, hey. sorry that Zach ruined your game show. <laughs> anyway, Adam, you are a blessing, dude, an inspiration to so many. Uh, appreciate you. Hey, where if people want to find more about you or uh, family discipleship, where can people find and you? And maybe your cell phone number. Yeah, but my cell phone number starts with a four. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, I, man, that's a good question. You can find me, uh, my wife and I do a podcast called the family discipleship podcast. That's typically where you can find us. So if you like podcasts, which is why you're listening to this, mm. you can check that out. Uh, I'm at eastsidedallas.org. That's the church I pastor. And then I'm on social media. If you like uh, seeing pictures of my kids, you can sure <laughs> find me on Instagram. That's awesome. Awesome, Adam. All right, dude. Love you, man. And uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and preaching the gospel. And uh, yeah, it's been awesome to have you on the Red Letter Disciple. And we're sorry about Texas, not Texas. Chris is, Chris is really the one that messed that up. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. There's, there's a lot of uh, 
controversy going into the next episode of will chris be back after that oh that's interesting let me just sing you a song on the way his jacket off and legally i think the contract is done now but anyway (laughs) adam see you dude appreciate you guys thank you very much i could not have spoon fed the game portion of this episode better to chris oh well i have forgiven him for how just how much he failed me there. But anyway, we're going to move on. Adam was really great though, right? I encourage you to get his book, Family Discipleship. You can find that and more at redletterpodcast.com. It's in the show notes and you can connect with him there. If you are thinking about a capital campaign or have questions, we talked about it earlier, The Giving Church would love to hear from you. So go on over to thegivingchurch.com slash red and meet their incredible team that will help your kingdom dream come to fruition. Episode 7 next week features Katie Cole. Katie, K-A-D-I Cole, is a speaker, writer, and leadership guru. She has worked in the church for more than two decades, really one of the experts in the church multi-site movement. Hear this. Under her direction, she helped her church grow from one campus to nine campuses and get this, from 3,500 to 23,000 people. That's awesome. In the midst of this, she has learned a ton about developing and growing leaders, and especially females, something of which in the church, I know we just have tons of room for improvement. So so not only is it an important conversation, but it'll also be fun. Katie is a Scrabble expert, so she's going to help Chris solve a debate that apparently I didn't even know he had. He's had a debate for years with friends, and she's a self-proclaimed lover of potlucks. I don't know that I like potlucks too much. So we have a little tension there. So we're going to see what happens. She's going to give us the best and worst foods to bring to a potluck, which I know is just going to change your life. (laughs) It's going to be great and awesome and funny and challenging and inspiring. So, hey, subscribe and follow on your favorite streaming platform. And we'll be back next Tuesday. A Huda Media Production.